0: Well, welcome to Epic, everybody. So glad that you're here today. If you are new with us, my name is Trent. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Epic. And today, we're in week two of a series that we started last week on the life of a man named David. Now, if you're not familiar with David, David was a famous Old Testament Bible character. He lived about 3,000 years ago. If you've ever heard the story, David and Goliath, that's the guy that we're talking about. So, so David was an amazing man, and we're going to learn a lot of really neat things about him over the next few weeks. But one of the things that David is credited with in the Bible is recording many of the prayers and the, um, the songs that we have recorded in a book in the Old Testament called the Psalms. So if you open your Bible up about halfway, you should be really close to the Psalms. And in the Psalms, we see um, many of David's prayers, many of his songs that he wrote. So he wrote these, some of these prayers of just pouring out his heart before God. He wrote some songs of incredible praise to God. And actually, that intro video was one of those prayers that David prayed. It was Psalms 13. And in Psalms 13, David says, God, where are you? Are you going to forget about me forever? Like I'm in this difficult spot, but it just seems like you've forgotten uh, where I am, who I am. It seems like maybe you don't even care about what's going on in my life. I got to tell you that when I'm reading the Bible, I love coming across prayers like that. And that might sound a little weird, but the reality for me is, is sometimes I pray those prayers. And I think sometimes you pray those prayers. I think there are moments that we all say, God, where are you? Like, I'm I'm in this difficult spot. I'm struggling with this very difficult thing, and I wonder where you are. It doesn't seem like you care. It doesn't seem like you're working. I'm just not sure if if you're even paying attention to what's going on in my life right now. Well, today we're going to watch David uh, fight through some emotions like that. And he's going to tie himself back to trusting God, even in a very difficult season of his life, when he thought God wasn't working the way that God should be working. I think we can all identify with that. Now, to start today, we're going to go back just a little bit in David's story and find the first place that we meet him in the bible it's first samuel chapter 16 last week we looked at the story of david and goliath and uh, what happens today we're going to look at just happens just prior uh, to that time frame and There's this amazing uh, backstory to what's happening here when David becomes anointed as the king, uh, the the next king of Israel. Let me tell you just a little bit about it. So there's this one moment that that God comes along to a guy named Samuel, who was the uh, God's spokesperson at that moment for the nation of Israel. And God told Samuel, I want you to go and I want you to anoint a new king. And it was kind of interesting, kind of an odd thing. It really hadn't happened at all in the nation of Israel at that point, other than the first king being anointed. And part of the, the backstory to that, we have to go back a little bit farther in history to understand why God asked Samuel to do that, why he asked Samuel to anoint David. It was around 1450 BC. So, uh, 1450 years before the life of Christ, the, the nation of Israel, uh, they weren't quite a nation at that point yet, but they had grown to about 2 million people in slavery to the Egyptians. And God freed them from 400 years of slavery and used a man named Moses and through Moses took them to what was called the promised land. Now, it was a little bit of a journey for them to get there, but finally they they got to what was known as the promised land for them. They got a little bit settled in the promised land. And what they did was they looked around it was about 400 years after their freedom. They looked around at all the other nations around them and said, like, every other nation has a king but us. We don't have a king to rule over us. All we have is that old guy, Samuel, and, and all we have is God. So they went to Samuel and said, Samuel, we would really like if you would anoint a king for us. Now, that made Samuel very unhappy. And he and God started having a conversation about this, and it's recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7. God says to Samuel, do everything they say to you, for it is me they are rejecting, not You. So Samuel felt, you know, he was leading the nation of Israel at that point. He wasn't a king, but he was God's uh, spokesperson for them. And he felt like, hey, they, they don't like me and my leadership. And God says, listen, it's not about you. It's about me. They don't want me to be their king any longer Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods. And now they're giving you the same treatment. So do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about the way that a king will reign over them. So Samuel told him, listen, I don't think you understand what you're asking for here. I don't think you realize when you're asking for a king, what you're going to get with a king, because a king is gonna take your sons and, and make them work in his army. A king is going to take the best of your land, your produce, your animals, and he's going to take them for himself. A king is going to tax you. A king is basically, basically going to treat you like a slave again. And they said, even after hearing all that, we still want a king. We want to be like the other nations around us. And our king will judge us and lead us into battle. Now, here's our first application for us today from, from this. I think that many times we are just like the Israelites. We're, we're just like them. We're, we come along at a season of our lives and we say, God, like, I don't know if I really want you being king anymore. I don't know if I really want you ruling over every aspect of my life. I mean, I don't mind when you're in control. Sometimes it's great when you show up and get me out of the jam that I got myself stuck in. That's awesome. Uh, You know, it's great to know that if I'm a believer in Jesus, that there's this place reserved for me in heaven. That's great. But I'm not so sure that I want you to rule over every detail of my life. Uh, You know, I'll let you be in charge on Sundays. You know, a church is a great place for you to be in charge. It should be, right? And, you know, maybe you can show up and just uh, take over when I don't know what to do. That'd be awesome. But do you have to rule over every aspect of my life? Do you have to rule when I'm at work? Do you have to rule when I'm out at play? Do you have to rule when I'm, you know, off the clock? Do you always have to, to rule over my life and tell me what to do? I think that's part of what the Israelites were saying. I think another part of what they were saying was, God, you're a little old-fashioned. You know, we, we look around our world and every other nation has a king but us. And I don't know if you've ever had a conversation like that, maybe with your parents or maybe you know one of your kids with you, but you know, every once in a while my kids will say to me, everybody else at school has an iPhone or everybody else gets to do this, and I don't, and I say, you're not everybody else. You're not getting a phone. And I think, you know, for the Israelites, here they are talking to God, saying, God, you know, every other nation has a king. And all we have is your booming voice from heaven, and it frightens us. We don't really know what to do. You're not all that hip anymore. You know, you don't talk to us. You know, you don't text us. You don't call us on our, our iPhones or our iPads. You're still talking through that old guy, Samuel. I mean, like, that's so, like, years ago. Like, we want a king. We want a king to, to rule over us and when we look around our world it seems like god and belief in him is old fashioned and outdated nowadays and if you question that i encourage you to go into school or go into work tomorrow especially if you're not married this would probably work a little bit better than if you are uh, go in and uh, tell your coworkers go in and tell other students at school that you've decided to wait until you're married to have sex see what happens See if somebody doesn't spit out their coffee, go, what did you say? You're doing what? See if somebody doesn't laugh you out of the classroom. If you say, listen, I wanna live by a a principle that God has. Or tell somebody, hey, listen, I've decided to give 10% of my income back to God through a local church. I just feel like that's something God teaches. It's a way for me to recognize that everything I have comes from him and see if people don't think, like, have you lost your mind? Like, have you gotten your calculator out and figured out how much that is? Do you know we live in some tough economic times? Or if you're to tell somebody, listen, I've decided to forgive someone who has deeply wounded me, you might find other people around you get very angry at you, very upset. Say, how can you do that? How can you forgive them? How can you say that what they did was okay, even though that's not what you're saying when you forgive someone? So as we look around our world, there are moments that our world says, you know what? Belief in God, applying his principles, that's kind of old-fashioned. Like, it's kind of cute every once in a while. But you don't really need that. And if we're not careful, we can start thinking the same thing. We can start thinking, God, I don't know that I need all of your principles. God, I don't know that I need you in complete control of my life. And so I think God asks the same question of us is, am I really your king? Am I king over all of your life? Or just certain portions of it? Like, are you gonna give me a day? Like, hey, Sunday you can be king, but the rest of the week's mine? Or is there a subject that you go, hey, you can be in control over this subject, but these other subjects or this part of my life, like I'm gonna keep that to myself. So who's really king over your life? So the nation of Israel, they wanted a king and God said, okay, I'm gonna give you a king. He gave them a man named Saul. Now when they saw Saul, they said, man, this is the right guy. He was the tallest guy in Israel. He was uh, extremely handsome And they said, man, he he looks sharp, and he's the biggest guy around. He's got to be the king. So this is great. So they said, long live King Saul. So Samuel anointed Saul as the first king over Israel, and Saul started off doing well. But shortly after that, Saul disobeyed God in some big ways, basically rebelled against God. And God rejected him as king. said, listen, Samuel, here's what I want. Saul doesn't have a heart like mine. Saul's not gonna lead the nation of Israel the way that I want him to. So I want you to go and anoint someone else, a man after my own heart. And he says, I, I've got somebody. And here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to uh, the town of Bethlehem. I want you to find a man named Jesse. And I, I want you to anoint one of his sons because I've, I've picked him out, special, special. this is a guy that has a heart like mine. His heart beats with with the same concern for things that I'm concerned about. So go and anoint this new guy. This is where David comes in. So Samuel does that. He goes to Bethlehem, finds Jesse. And when he sees Jesse's oldest son, he says, surely this is the Lord's anointed." I mean, he's, he's handsome, he's a big guy, like, wow, that's who I would pick. Kind of like how the Israelites felt about King Saul. And then God says to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way that you see them. I think that's something that we need to remember always. We need to burn into our minds. God doesn't see things the way that we see things. God doesn't see people the way that we see people. God doesn't see our success the way that we see our success. God doesn't see our failure the way that we see our failure. God doesn't see things the way that we see things. Now, in this context, God was talking about how we see people. And so he continued in verse seven by saying, people judge by outward appearance, but the Lord has the ability to look at people's heart. And I think we can all understand what God is saying here because we all do this. We all judge people based upon what they look like. We all do this. I mean, you see somebody new, you size them up in a few seconds. And if somebody looks popular, looks cool, has a lot of hair or not, you know, sorry if you have a lot of hair, but we make quick decisions on like, hey, well, that's somebody I wanna be around or that's somebody I wanna be like. And if they don't look successful, they don't look cool on however you decide to judge that. They don't look popular. You quickly make a decision. I don't know if I want to hang out with them. I probably don't want to be around them because they're not the kind of person that I would want to be around. We make these major judgment calls based upon people's outward appearance and we don't know anything about their character. We don't know anything about their hearts. And so God comes along and says to all of us, don't do that don't judge people at work, don't judge people at school, don't judge people in the community based upon what they look like. Judge them by their character, by how they live, by what's going on in their heart. How they live will reveal what's in their hearts. So when it comes to this interaction with Jesse and uh, his sons and Samuel uh, Samuel looks and goes, man, like, he's got some great-looking sons. Like, one of these, these early sons have got to be the king, and uh, God says, no. no. The second son, not the king. The third son, nope. Fourth son, nope. Fifth, sixth, and seventh sons, nope. Samuel has to turn to Jesse and go, like, do you have any more kids? Because, like, God told me to come here and anoint one of them, um, so do you have any more? And so Jesse thinks and says, you know, there's David, but he's the youngest. He's out watching sheep. Like, you don't—you wouldn't want David, Basically, he's a nobody. And Samuel says, go get him. So somebody goes out and gets David and says, hey, dad needs you. And he leaves the sheep, heads back into uh, the village, comes up, and Samuel looks at him and God says, he's the one. That's the one. That's the man after my own heart. Anoint him as king of Israel. And so just imagine if you're David, you know, David's probably around 15-ish at this time. And so you're out watching sheep. Somebody comes and gets you, and you walk up. And this, this whole kind of formal ceremony, guess what? You're the next king of Israel. Like, what are you talking about? Like, what would you be thinking if, if that were you in this scenario? I mean, like you have like, no notice that this is coming. coming. It was just one day he's out in the field working. Somebody says, hey, dad needs you, and he heads in, and he gets anointed as the next king of Israel. If you were there, what would you be thinking if you were one of his brothers? I'd probably be thinking, like, is Samuel like drunk or something? Because like, like, he just picked David. Nobody would pick David. He's a punk little shepherd boy. I mean, look at our oldest brother. And I think his oldest brother and older brothers were very offended that Samuel overlooked them and selected David. Now, what would you be thinking if you were David? If you walked up and all this was going on and you hear this announcement like, hey, you're the next king of Israel, what would be going on in your mind? You know, one thing might be like, hey, this is cool. Now I can make my brothers go watch the sheep. That'd be awesome. Or he might have thought, like, what are you talking about? Like, this is the weirdest thing ever. Like, why wouldn't you pick one of my older brothers? I mean, obviously, they're natural leaders. Look at them. But why would you pick me? Then another thing I think would be even more prevalent on David's mind is, is that he would wonder, Samuel, why have you just issued my death sentence? Like, the king is still alive and very well in, in his kingdom, uh, he's, he's not gonna you know, do very kindly to me just showing up and going like, hey, I've been anointed the next king. Um, why don't you move out? No, he would see that as an act of treason and King Saul would try to have him killed for that, probably would have his entire family killed for that. So I think David probably felt a little bit weird about what was going on. But again, we gotta remember that God sees things differently than the way that we see things. And God does things differently than the way that we would do things. So David's anointed the next king of Israel, and guess what he does next? He goes back to watching sheep. He goes back to the fields in this humble life of being a shepherd. And I think that's where God wanted to shape David's heart to be the the kind of man that he wanted David to be when he would become king. It was in the lonely, solitary fields of Bethlehem that David learned how to become the right kind of king with a heart like God's. Now, in chapter 16, David gets a little reprieve from that. He was an accomplished musician. And King Saul actually finds out about that, invites him to come to his palace to to play the harp in moments when he's pretty depressed. Um, Can you imagine how awkward that would have been for David? Like he's probably playing going, I hope nobody tells him I'm the next anointed king. Like this is not good. He'd probably be killed in that moment. So he quietly and humbly served the king, but didn't want anybody to know what had happened out in the field when Samuel came. And when King Saul left and went to fight the, the Philistines, guess where David went? He went right back to the fields right back to the solitary, lonely, boring, monotonous job of watching sheep. And I think it was in that lonely, boring place that David learned how to become the king. I think God does the same thing with us sometimes. I think God comes along and either puts us in or leaves us in places that we would rather not be so we can learn the lessons that God wants us to learn. And sometimes we're in a job that we hate or we're in a relationship that's going nowhere. Or we've got this health issue that's going on and we're asking God, where are you? Like, why am I here? I feel like I'm in a desert. I feel like, like I'm just stuck out in the wilderness. I have no direction, no purpose. You're not working. Nothing's happening here. I can't see anything good coming out of this place. Maybe you're in a spot like that. Like maybe you feel that way at work or you feel that way in a relationship or maybe you feel that way in Flagler County and you feel like nothing is happening right now. I'm not learning anything. I feel like I'm abandoned by God. I'm not going anywhere. And yet there are lessons that can only be learned in lonely, boring, sometimes confusing places. There are lessons in faithfulness that we can only learn when we have to put our faith in God. There are lessons in endurance that can only be learned when we actually have to endure something. There are character qualities that can only be developed when we have to put ourselves or we we stay in a place that we would rather not be. We say, I don't want to be here. God says, well, in this place is the place you're going to learn the character qualities I need you to have as you move to the next place. There's a trust in God that can only happen when we actually have to Trust in God. And sometimes, you know, we just want the pixie dust faith, you know, where we say, God, just sprinkle it over me. And then I've got all the faith in the world. And God says, I'm going to bring you through some things that'll help develop that from within. And yet, there are times we just fight God so much on that. There are times that we say, Listen, I don't want to be here. I just want out. And I hear people say this to me too often. Uh, I hear people say, if they're in a marriage that's not going so well, hey, I, I want to be happy. God wants me to be happy. I'm not happy in this marriage. So guess what? I'm getting out. Or I'm not happy with my boss. I'm not happy with my job. I'm just leaving. Or, uh, you know, a better life waits somewhere else. So I'm just going to up and move. Where are you moving to? I don't know. Flagler County. Why? I'm just getting out. New start. Starting over. Now, there's nothing wrong with new starts. There's nothing wrong with quitting our jobs. There's, there's nothing wrong with moving. But there are moments that we pull ourselves out of the very places that God wants to teach us the things that we need to learn for the next season of life. And God says, like, wait, like, hold on. Like, I want you to learn something here. Like, you're, you're, you're getting things out of order. You're not going to learn what I want you to learn if you just keep running from relationship to relationship or you just keep running from place to place or job to job. Like, hold on. Like, I need you to learn some things. Now for David, he could have easily cycled into some poor me thinking. And and just imagine if if we are in that story, we've been anointed the next king. I mean, I I would probably be on the fields going, well, what in the world is this all about? I've just been anointed as the king and I'm here watching sheep. This is terrible. One of my brothers should have to do this now. Like, why am I here? I should be being fitted for my royal robes, or, you know picking out my new chariot with you know, leather seats, and uh, you know, maybe I should be mounting up my army to, to go and battle against the king that's there now and overthrow him. But we have no indication that David was thinking any of those things. What we see in First Samuel is David faithfully taking care of his father's sheep. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, we see that David did such a good job of taking care of his father's sheep that he fought off lions and bears. Okay, so let me ask, next time you go into work and a lion and a, or a bear shows up in your workplace, what are you going to do? Are you going to courageously chase it out of the office? Or are you going to like push one of your coworkers down and hope that like they get eaten first so maybe that you can get away? well, if I were in David's spot, I would be keeping track of lost sheep in the not my problem category. You know, like dad comes along and goes like, hey, how'd it go today? Well, we lost a few sheep. What do you mean we lost a few sheep? Oh, well, a lion came by. What, you let him eat him? Yeah, a lion came by. Like, yeah, I let him eat him. Like a bear came by. Yeah, like not my problem. But we don't see that out of David. David faithfully protected his father's sheep why? Because that was his job. He was a man after God's own heart. He said, listen, like, this is my job to stay here and protect these sheep, and I will protect these sheep against anything that comes to attack them. And it's out of what David learned in the fields that he developed what he needed to become the next king. And last week, we watched David charge into battle against Goliath And I think one of the reasons that he was able to do that was because he protected his father's sheep. And I think if David would have allowed a lion or a bear to eat his father's sheep, he never would have fought Goliath. He would have walked up and put it in the not my problem category when he saw Goliath. He would have said, who's gonna fight him? Certainly not me. If he wouldn't have protected his father's sheep. But again, David faithfully protected his father's sheep and and did the thing that he needed to do in that moment. He learned the lessons that God wanted him to learn so that he could do the next thing that came along in his life. And so last week we saw David defeated Goliath. You know, everybody's praising him. He became a household name in all of Israel. And 1 Samuel 18 verse 2 says, From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. So it seems like here's David's opportunity. He's getting closer to the kingdom now. Everybody knows him. So it's like, oh, this is great. This is God's plan. He's now working me in through the system so I can become the next king. And it says in 1 Samuel eighteen five, whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, which was Goliath, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. And this was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. Uh Uh-oh, we have a problem things aren't gonna go as well as David was thinking. Maybe this isn't the opportunity that he thought he had and maybe you've been in a scenario like that where it feels like God opens a door and then you step in it and all of a sudden things don't go so well. Things start happening, things start falling apart and you're like, wait a minute, I thought this was an opportunity. Verse eight says, this made Saul very angry. What's this, he said, they credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands? Next, they'll be making him their king. So, from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. So, not only that, Saul spent the rest of his life trying to kill David. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, Saul tried to kill David three times. In chapter 19, Saul sent his men to assassinate David at his house, kind of an ambush situation, and God protected him, and that assassination attempt failed. In chapter 19, Saul also tried to kill David again with a spear. So several times, he sees David in his court. He's got this spear next to him. And out of anger, he picks up that spear, launches it at David, trying to kill him. And David's pretty good at dodgeballs, dodge, dodge spears. So he's able to, to work his way out of that. In chapter 21, David finally gets this like, hint, like, maybe Saul doesn't want me around. Like, he's trying to kill me. So what he does is He flees. He runs and hides. In chapter 22, he hides in a cave. In chapter 23, he hides in the wilderness. In chapter 24, he gets an opportunity to kill King Saul and he refuses to take it. In 26, he gets another opportunity to kill King Saul and he refuses to take that as well. While he's in the wilderness, while he's hiding in a cave, God starts bringing warriors to him. People that aren't connected really anywhere. Uh, People that say, listen, I'll follow you. I'll, I'll be one of your warriors. And God builds this army out of like this B team, these leftovers, these people that weren't connected really anywhere. And on one of those occasions, David and one of his soldiers had the opportunity to sneak into Samuel's uh, camp. So Samuel and all, or Saul and all of his army, they're chasing after David all over the countryside, trying to find him, trying to kill him. And, and on one moment, they're camped out at night, and Saul's asleep. Everybody's asleep. God puts him into a deep sleep. And David and one of his warriors, they sneak in, they stand over Saul. What an opportunity. And his, his soldier that's with him says, here's your chance. God has handed you, your enemy in your hands. Let me kill him for you. I'll only need to strike once with my spear. And David has this amazing response. He says, no, don't kill him for who can remain innocent after attacking the Lord's anointed one. Surely the Lord will strike Saul down someday or he will die of old age or in battle. But the Lord forbid that I should kill the one he has anointed. All right, so honestly, how many of us would be trying to protect the guy who's trying to kill us? Like, I'm not thinking I would be. I'm thinking, I'm going, all right, so like, I've been anointed the new king. You rejected God. God rejected you. You're trying to kill me. Guess what? I get an opportunity. I'm taking you out. But that wasn't David's perspective. I think that's one of the many reasons that God called him a man after God's own heart. See, David didn't see things the way that many of us would see things. David didn't do things the way many of us would do things. David saw things more the way that God would see things. And David had this heart to do things more the way that God would do things. So let's just get personal for a moment. When you're waiting on God to work in your situation, what is your typical response? Is your response to get in there and make things happen? If God's closed the door, you're going to kick that door open and just make it happen because you want this done. You want it done in this certain time frame. Or do you get jealous of maybe what God is doing in somebody else's life? And you get bitter and angry towards them, maybe bitter and angry towards God in that scenario, wondering, like, why them and not me? Do you get angry at God, bitter at God, and decide, you know what, God, if that's how you're going to be, you're not going to talk to me, you're not going to guide me, you're not going to get me out of the situation, guess what? I'm just not going to talk to you. Maybe I'm going to stop praying. Maybe I'm going to stop reading my Bible. Maybe I'm going to stop serving. You know, God, you're just not being faithful to me, so I don't have to be all that faithful to you. I don't have to do what you've asked me to do. Like, how do you interact when God's not doing what you want him to? When God isn't working the way that you want him to work, do you patiently wait for him to work? Or do you get angry and demand action from him? When God isn't giving you the relationship that you want, the job that you desire, the healing that you're praying for, the recognition that you think you deserve, do you learn the lessons that God wants you to learn because you'll need them for the next season of life? Or do you try to force things to happen maybe that God just doesn't want to happen yet? You know how long it took David to become king over all of Israel? It was about 22 years So he was about 15 when he became anointed as king. He was about 30, or he was 30 uh, when he was anointed king of Judah, which was part of Israel. And then he was about 37 when he was anointed king over all of Israel. So 22 years he waited for God to answer and meet his need and, and fulfill that promise. What would you do in that scenario? Would you wait 22 years? Would I wait 22 years? I have a hard time waiting 22 minutes for anything. Like when I'm waiting in front of the microwave for 22 seconds for my pizza to warm up, I'm like, "Come on. Let's go." I think I think we're all a lot like that. We're super impatient. So would you wait like that, like David, for God to fulfill his promise? Now, in 1 Samuel chapter 31, King Saul died in battle against the Philistines. And when David heard this, he didn't shout for joy. He didn't throw a celebration. He didn't say, hey, drinks on me, everybody. Party time. He wept and he fasted. And his men wept and fasted because God's anointed king had died that day. Incredible perspective from an incredible man, a guy that that had a heart like God's. He wanted to do the right thing, the stuff that God wanted him to do. Now, in just a minute, our worship team's going to come out, and they're going to guide us through a closing song called It Is Well. And it's kind of a remake song, so if you know the the song, It Is Well With My Soul, it was written in the late 1800s. That's kind of a remake of that, at least the chorus is. kind of a new song, but a remake of that. And while our worship team sings, I really encourage you to turn this song into a prayer to God. So maybe you're in one of those seasons of life where you're saying, God, where are you? Why aren't you working? Like, why aren't you doing more to fix this situation? Why aren't you doing more to to get me out of this relationship or uh, fix this financial problem that I have or or help me deal with this issue that, that is consuming my life? Well, I feel like I'm in a desert and why aren't you doing more? I encourage you this morning to be like David and tie yourself back to God's truth. I encourage you to, to tell God in kind of a declaration prayer and through this song, like, God, I will learn the lessons you want me to learn in this season of life. I'll be patient, I'll slow down and I'll keep my eyes open for every lesson you wanna teach me because I know I'll need that for the next season of life. I don't wanna shortcut anything. I wanna learn everything that you want me to learn. So I encourage you through this song, say, God, whatever I'm going through, I will make it well with my soul. A Great thing for all of us to say, no matter what we're going through. It is well, it is well. People will look at you and go like, how can you say it is well? Like, I know what's going on in in your life. It's a horrible situation that you're in. And you say it is well. Why? Because you're developing a heart like David's developing a heart like God's so that you can begin to see things the way that God sees things and do things the way that God would do things. Let's pray together and then we'll sing. God is becoming easier for us to, to see why you've called David a man after your own heart. He learned the lessons that you wanted him to learn while faithfully watching sheep he didn't take any shortcuts in obeying you. Uh, he, he didn't uh, try to attack the king who was trying to kill him. I mean, he just remained faithful to you throughout his lifetime. God, we want that. Same thing for us. We want to be people who see things the way that you see things. We wanna be people who will do things the way that you will do things. Lord, we we wanna become people who have a heart just like yours, and we know that that doesn't happen fast in our, our microwave society, that it takes time to develop those things. And there's things that you want us to learn in the season of life that we're in. So God, there are some of us here this morning in some pretty boring, lonely, confusing places waiting on you waiting on you to fix a relationship, to provide a job or a better job, to give direction or clarity on a decision that we need to make, to work your healing power in our sickness. God, we ask that you would help us learn everything that you want us to learn in those lonely, boring places. Help us not to shortcut your lessons by trying to force things to happen that you don't want to happen just yet. God, help us to trust you and your plan as we become the people that you want us to be. In Jesus' powerful name we pray this, amen.
1: Now, everybody, my name's Cody Anderson, and I'm I'm the leader of our middle and high school student ministry here at Epic called Surge. I mean, I just have a few announcements before we get started with our David series and Trent comes out. So if you could pick up the sheets that are next to you, and we're just going to run through a few things. Now, if you're new with us today, we're so happy you're here. Thank you for joining us. Um, If you could, on your way out, can you please stop by the Connection Center? We'd love to personally meet you and just tell you a little bit and give you some information about Epic. Now, we are currently working with the administration here at Buddy Taylor Middle School, um, trying to provide some lunchtime mentors. So what we need, we need people that are willing to sacrifice an hour out of a week or every other week to invest into some students that need a little extra encouragement. So if you'd like to be a part of that, if you would like to help invest into these students, next week, after both services, we're actually going to have a meeting to give you a little more information and to provide you with the necessary requirements to do that. So please come out, join us on that, and be praying about that and our students in the school system. Now, if you call Epic your home and you'd like to give back to what we're doing here in the community, there's two ways that you can do that. You could do that online at theepicchurch.com, or you can give in the giving boxes directly behind you. So now Trent's going to come out in a moment, and he's going to continue on in our David series, but before he does that, go ahead and check out this video.